The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. Okay, having said that, read David's psalm, you know, that shows you the heart of a person that truly loved the Lord because every time he's in a major crisis in his life, he may be hiding in a cave. He may be being chased by his own son. He's lost the uh, kingship and his son has taken over. He's being chased even to death. And what does he do? He stops and writes a psalm. He gives his praise to the Lord, even in the times of trouble. If you do that, you too will be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Okay, we are in Deuteronomy 11 verses 13 through 21. This is entitled, Like the Days of the Heavens Above the Earth. Verse 13, And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain. And the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. Before we get into today's verses, I'd like to add something to last week's sermon, which never dawned on me. And, uh, you know, you sit here and you do the uh, sermon, you study every single word in the Hebrew, every clause in the context of the passage. You refer to other passages. You're thinking on it. By the end of the day, you're tired. You've got everything that you think you could possibly get out of a passage and present it to people. And then you give your sermon and somebody named Ray walks up to you and says, it's works versus faith or works versus grace. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, the picture that's being made in last week's sermon. Here they had to get their water by foot in the land of Egypt. 
They had to work for it. And then what happens in Israel? You get grace from the sky, the abundant rains, and the land drinks up the water from the heavens. And he says, it's that simple. And I'm like, duh. So thank you, Ray, for that. In the Bible, being faithful to the Lord is equated with a spouse being faithful to her husband. In this marriage-type relationship, the Lord is willing to put up with a great deal and yet not put away Israel. Under the law, if a man were to divorce his wife and were to remarry and then get divorced again, the first husband could not later take her back. That is a point of law, which is found later in Deuteronomy 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she is departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. The defiling of a woman by another man excluded the man from taking her back again as his wife. The contract was violated and the law had spoken. And yet, in Jeremiah, we read this concerning the Lord's love towards his people. From Jeremiah 3, verse 1, They say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet, return to me, says the Lord. This precept came to mind because I use an example of an unfaithful spouse in the sermon today. Despite Israel's almost complete unfaithfulness to the Lord during their entire history, which continues on today, by the way, he has faithfully preserved them, calling them back to himself, return to me. He continues to do so today, and he will continue to do so until the day they are once and forever reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. This is the amazing and glorious creator we serve. He remains faithful even through the unfaithfulness of his people. It is a foundational truth that is found in the word of God, his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have two thoughts for you today. The first is, take heed to yourselves. It's verses 13 through 17. In the previous passage in verse 11, 1, Moses began with, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. After this, Moses explained the great acts of judgment that came upon both Egypt and Israel, showing that the Lord is fully capable of such things. He then repeated the thought of commandment keeping in verse 11, 8, saying, Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today. Moses then gave the reason for that, finishing up the passage with these words, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you came over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, 
from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. The keeping of the commandments is paramount to Moses in order for them to possess this good land that he has described to them. Now, Moses will, again, bring in the thought of commandment keeping. This time, however, it isn't simply for the sake of possessing the land, but of having abundance within the land. And we're going to see that when we get to chapter 14, the abundance within the land. His words are methodical and they are direct. Here is how things work and the outcome is conditioned upon how you respond to the commands you are given. With that thought in mind, the passage today begins with verse 13, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, and it will be if hearing you shall hear unto my commandments. An important change has taken place in these words. It says mitzvotai, or my commandments. It is the Lord who is speaking through Moses. One could argue that it is simply Moses speaking out his words to the people as commandments, and indeed that is how some translations state it, my lowercase m commandments. The New King James Version, however, rightly says with a capital M, my commandments. What has happened is that Moses' words of the previous verses have now passed into the words of the Lord here. This will become perfectly evident in the next verse. The change is so marked and so abrupt that Cambridge says it is evidently inserted by an editor. How stupid. A later editor would do exactly the opposite and conform the words to the surrounding text, not alter them to make the passage more confusing and or seemingly more corrupt. But Moses has already done this before. The change is not without precedent as was seen in verse 7-4. For now, as is understood from previous sermons, the word hear means more than to simply hear, but to hear and then to act upon what is heard. Thus, earnestly obey is a very good paraphrase. In the last verse, the pronouns were in the singular. In this verse, they are in the plural. And it will be of hearing you all hear. The address to the many will continue throughout the verse. Verse 13 continues, which I command you today. Each and every person, you all, is being told that obedience is required across the board. Saying, which I command you today, indicates that what the Lord, through Moses, speaks out during the entire time of the giving of this book is included in the word today. He isn't speaking out individual sections that are separate from one another. Rather, his words continue on in a single body of law that comprises each and every section into one unit. Every time that it says, which I command you today, a single law is being added to. This will continue until the book of Deuteronomy is finished. At times, even quite often, the words are repeated from what has been said elsewhere. Such an instance is found in the next words. Verse 13 continues, To love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. This is similar to what he just said in the previous chapter. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? However, though similar, it is also significantly different. There, Moses spoke to Israel collectively. Here, the Lord speaks to all of the people individually. Verse ten, twelve: to serve the Lord your singular God with all your singular heart and with all your singular soul. Verse eleven thirteen: to love the Lord your plural God and to serve him with all your plural heart and with all your plural soul. Why is it being done this way? 
It is because, as Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Think of the commands. You, Israel, are to do my commands. Someone could say, well, I don't need to. Israel, the nation does. But that thought is now excluded by changing it and saying, you all are to do my commands. Ah, dang it. I have to do this stuff too. Moses is writing under inspiration. The Lord, understanding the nature of man, is being specific to exclude the wickedness of the human heart, both of Israel's collectively and of each person's individually. You, Israel, as a nation, are to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And each of you within Israel, my people, are to do likewise. To avoid unnecessary repetition, but to understand the fuller meaning of the words of this verse, you can go back to the comments on verse 10, 12 and read them. There, the thought of loving the Lord God and serving him with all of one's heart and all of one's soul was analyzed in detail. For now, the word tells the people what good result will come from their obedient love and their service of the Lord God, saying, verse 14, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season. And I will give rain in its season. How do we know Moses wasn't the one to say my commandments in the previous verse? It is because it says, and I will give rain in this verse. Moses cannot give rain. Only the Lord can. The NASB, however, incorrectly translates these words as that he will give the rain. What is normally a careful and precise translation either deferred to a text other than the Hebrew or they simply made an error in their translation. It is to be noted that what he promises here in Deuteronomy for obedience is likewise discussed with the people in their disobedience. In Amos 4, it says, and I've said this in a couple other Deuteronomy sermons, I'm repeating it again because it's pertinent to this passage, I also withheld rain from you when there were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city, I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. There, like in this verse in Deuteronomy, the pronoun is plural, your plural land. That's in Deuteronomy, and you plural have not returned to me in the book of Amos. The Lord was teaching them a lesson with the rains, and Israel was failing to heed the lesson that he provided. As you can see, though the words are transmitted through Moses, it is the Lord who is speaking them out. In obedience to the doing, the Lord promises he will do likewise, giving the people of Israel rain for your plural land. With that understood, he says, verse 14 continues, the early rain and the latter rain. There are no articles before the nouns. It says, yore u malkosh, sprinkling and gathering, but signifying the early and latter rains. They're also known as the autumn or spring rains or other such variations. Both words are introduced right here into scripture. The first yore or early rain comes from yara, which means to throw or shoot as in an arrow. Yore is an active participle and thus it gives the idea of lots of arrows coming at you and hence sprinkling. The second is malkosh. It comes from lakesh, which is the after crop, meaning latter growth. 
That is from the verb lakash, signifying to gather. Thus, it is the gathering rain. Of these rains, Adam Clark states, by the first or former rain, we are to understand that which fell in Judea about November, when they sowed their seed. And this served to moisten and prepare the ground for the vegetation of the seed. The latter rain fell about April, when the corn was well grown up and served to fill the ears and render them plump and perfect. Rain rarely fell in Judea at any other seasons than these. If the former rain were withheld or not sent in due season, there could be no vegetation. If the latter rain were withheld or not sent in its due season, there could be no full corn in the ear and consequently no harvest. Of what consequence then was it that they should have their rain in due season? God, by promising this, provided that they were obedient and threatening to withhold it should they be disobedient, shows that it is not a general providence that directs these things, but that the very rain of heaven falls by particular direction, and the showers are often regulated by an especial providence. The point of these words now is that it takes us back to verse 10 where Israel is contrasted to Egypt. There are no such rains in Egypt. However, in Canaan and through the obedience of the people, there would be both the early and the latter rains. These were to be provided, so, verse 14 continues, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. And voila, in the middle of the verse, the words suddenly change back to the second person singular. Ve'asafta, de'ganecha, ve'tiroshecha, ve'yitzarecha. And you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. All four pronouns are in the singular. He is speaking to Israel collectively. The nation's prosperity is dependent on the land of all of the people. The produce that comes from the ground is a national asset and treasure that is dependent upon both national and individual observance of the commands. The words are marvelously structured to teach Israel the important lesson of who they are as people and of who they are as a people. With that understood, verse 15, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. So much for vegetarians. The Lord promises grass in the fields for the livestock as a result of the rains. In turn, the people will have livestock to eat. The words speak of abundance and delight. Also, the singular continues in this verse. In national and individual obedience, the Lord will graciously provide for Israel. One must remember that if individuals in the nation are disobedient, it is the nation's responsibility to weed them out. The nation cannot say, we have been obedient, and yet you have not sent us the rains when they were allowing disobedience within the nation. This is clearly and explicitly seen in Amos chapter 4, which was cited a moment ago when speaking of the people in the plural. Likewise, the opposite of the promised blessing in this verse in Deuteronomy is seen in Amos 4 verse 6, where it is again in the plural. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. For obedience, the Lord promises that they may eat and be filled, implying dirty teeth. However, for disobedience, the Lord provided cleanness of teeth, meaning hunger. In Amos 4, the Lord speaks to the people in the plural again and again. But then in verse 12, he says to them in the second person singular, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. 
This caution in Amos was not without advanced warning, both from the prophets and through Moses. As it next says, verse 16, take heed to yourselves. The words now return to Moses as the speaker. He implores the people individually as well, returning back to the second person plural. The changes are intricate, they are purposeful, and they are marvelously woven together for the reader to consider. So much for Cambridge, who says that these verses are all supplied later, or they have errors, or that we God doesn't know what he's doing. That is not the case. These changes call for us to slowly and methodically ponder each verse, and indeed, each clause. Here, the warning is given. You all take heed to yourselves. And this is to avoid a snare. Verse 16 continues, lest your heart be deceived. Lest is opened your plural heart. The word is pata. It was seen in Genesis and again in Exodus, and it will only be used right here in Deuteronomy. It means to be spacious, wide, or open. In other words, if you foolishly open your heart, you will be seduced by it. Job uses the word when speaking of someone simple in the head. He says, for wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. One can think of a married woman slowly getting close to another man. The heart opens, and trouble follows closely behind. It is allured away, it is enticed, and the moral grounding is lost. Verse 13 said, they were to love the Lord God with all of the heart. However, the heart has been seduced to open to another. The natural reaction that will inevitably follow is, verse 16 going on, and you turn aside and serve other gods. Again, it is plural, and you all turn aside, and you all serve them, and you all worship them. In failing to love the Lord God with all of the heart, the heart has space for another. The heart is opened, and the soul turns aside. In this, the enticement is led to serving other gods. But verse 13 also said to not only love, but to serve the Lord God with all the heart and soul. Thus, the entire connection to God, heart and soul in both love and service is corrupted. If room is allowed for another, another will fill the room, resulting in verse 16 continues and worship them. The word is shacha. It means to bow down. It was used in the giving of the Ten Commandments. You shall not shacha, bow down to them, nor serve them. Again, one can follow the progression of this by looking to the woman who opened her heart to another man. She first failed to take heed. She then opened her heart. She then turned aside from her husband to another. She then served him with gifts and presents. She then did obeisance to him by divorcing her husband and marrying him. The Lord made a contract with Israel. And they are being told of the consequences of allowing another, thus violating that contract. In doing so, Moses warns, verse 17, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. Vikharaf af Yehovah bakem, and Burns knows Yehovah in you. It is the usual graphic way of describing anger. It is as if fire shoots from the Lord's nostrils, as he fumes at the adulterous actions of the people. From here until verse 21, the words form a chiasm, which I found on the day I typed this sermon. Deuteronomy 11, 17 through 21, instruction of the word. I entitle it Truth or Consequences. Found this on November 16th, 2020. 
the outside verses are, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain down at the bottom, like the days of the heavens above the earth B and the land ha yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land, which the Lord is giving you and be at the bottom that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the ha the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them C therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and see you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates and the anchor verses you shall teach them to your children speaking of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up with this now seen we can go on to review what the result of his anger will be verse 17 going on and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain here the word atsar, meaning to shut up or close, is used. It is used of a woman when she's barren, hence her womb is closed. Some then equate the heavens to a womb, but this is not a great analogy. It is more rightly equated to either a woman's breast or even a bottle. The rains are restrained from pouring out. Verse 17 continues, and the land yield no produce. And the ground no gives her increase. Saying land is incorrect. The next clause, a completely different word, is used to describe the land. Here it should read ground or earth. Without rain, the soil dries up, the seed will not germinate, and even if it does, it will quickly die without more moisture. Following that, it notes, verse 17 continuing, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Moses returns to the thought of verses 11 and 12. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. The land is a good land, but the land is one that Jehovah keeps his eyes on. And more. It is the land that he has given to Israel. What the Lord gives by covenant, the Lord can and will control because of that same covenant. However, I want you all to remember this. He will never take away his covenant. He keeps the covenant, but he controls it. Israel is in the land if they're obedient. Israel is not in the land if they are disobedient, but Israel has the land. It is their land, and it has always been that way. In opening their hearts to other gods, the natural consequence of their actions is his withholding the reins, leading to famine and resulting in perishing. Both the blessings of rain and the withholding of it are at the direction of the Lord. Though it is stated here, Amos and elsewhere shows that it is so. Blessing upon blessing I shall pour upon you, if you will love me and serve me with all of your heart. And with all of your soul, this too, in this our relationship can start. And if you continue to love and serve me, I will prosper you for all of your days. You will live in a land that produces abundantly. You shall reap and your animals shall graze. This for all the days of the heavens will be true. I will prosper you and bless you day unto day. Eternal blessings will come upon you if you will love me and serve me in that way. Our second thought today is a multiplication of days. It's verses 18 through 21. The coming words are quite similar to those of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Putting them side by side, however, there are some differences, and I want to highlight them to you. From Deuteronomy 6, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then from Deuteronomy 11, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. One of the main differences is the order in which the things are given. Also, instead of speaking of in the second person singular, as in chapter 6, it now is mostly in the second person plural. If someone were simply inserting words into the book of Deuteronomy like this, there would be several things that would have been done differently. First, they would not have bothered, because the substance of what is said is already there. We just read it. Secondly, if they were to bother, they would have kept the order the same. And thirdly, if they were to bother, they would have kept the person singular as it was in Deuteronomy 6. In other words, what we have here is original. It is from Moses, and he is conveying these words now to ensure that both the collective group and each individual person knows that these things apply equally to them. Verse 18, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. All of verse 18 is in the second person plural, you all. Also, the word is al, it's upon. Each and every one of you are instructed to do these things, beginning with storing up his words upon your heart and upon your soul. If the heart has words of law laid upon it, the people will not have room to allow in other influences. If the words are laid upon the soul, there will be no time for actions that direct the body in the wrong direction. The whole person is to be directed to what is right and proper in the conduct of their lives. It is what Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 10.5 when he says to believers in Christ, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. One's mind and actions will be focused on that which he allows in. If one is thinking about Christ, he will shut out that which is not Christian. But it is an active and it is an ongoing process. The words of Ruth 2 verse 4 give a wonderful example of this. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Including the Lord in each action, interaction, conversation, mental thought, and so on. This is what laying up the words upon one's heart and upon the soul includes. This is what loving the Lord with all of one's heart and all of one's soul involves. And as reminders for when the mind is overloaded and the soul is afflicted or oppressed, verse 18 continues, and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The words here are similar to verse 6, 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The main difference is that it was in the second person singular there, but it is in the second person plural here. The meaning, however, is the same. First, it says, And you all shall bind them to sign on your hand. As a review, an ot or sign is something that represents something else. 
The hand is what accomplishes tasks. Therefore, the people are to remember the word that Moses is speaking out in everything that they accomplish, be it cleaning a bathroom, washing the dishes, or buying a house. It is to be done with the Lord in mind. I have two friends that just left me yesterday, okay? Every time that they do anything, they stop and they pray about it. I don't care how simple it is. They stop and they pray about it. On the door of their house in Nazareth, just before it goes out, it says, stop and pray. Everything they do is revolving around the Lord. Everything. I've never seen two people so dedicated to the cause of the Lord. Everything. It next says, Vehayu le totafot be'enechem, and they shall be to frontlets between your eyes. This is the last of three times that the frontlets or totafot are used in the Bible. It is derived from an unused root signifying to go around or to bind. The words here are not to be taken literally, but as a metaphor. The place between the eyes is the forehead. It is the place of conscience and identification. Therefore, this symbolizes that a person is to set his mind on the law of the Lord. In the New Testament, it is reflective of what Paul says to the Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Moses' words now indicate the state of each person before the Lord. They are to accomplish every task with the Lord in mind and consider him in all that is done. And they are to mentally acknowledge the Lord by thinking on his law and of his handiwork in everything that they do. Oh God, that's such a beautiful sunrise. Oh God, that flower smells so good. Everything that comes into your life, think on the Lord in relation to it. In saying this to the people, Moses admonishes them to think on the Lord, to live for the Lord, and to conduct their affairs to the Lord at all times. And further, verse 19, you shall teach them to your children. The words of this verse form the center of the chiasm that we looked at a moment ago. Here, Moses begins the verse in the second person plural. You all shall teach them to your children. This then substantiates what I mentioned in the very complicated verse 11.2 that we looked at last week. Most translations there say something like, Know today that I do not speak. Those are inserted words. That I do not speak with your children. That is shown to be incorrect. Moses is speaking to the children through the parents. His instruction does not ignore them at all. As he says, verse 19 going on, Speaking of them. To speak them. The words bring to mind the words of Paul, where he implores fathers to bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord. One cannot train what is not laid down, but once it is laid down, then it can be conveyed. And this is to be, verse 19 going on, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Two important points come forth concerning these words. First, instead of saying when, the Hebrew repeatedly reads in in thy sitting in thy house, and in thy going in the way, and in thy lying down, and in thy rising up. Secondly, if you know your these, thys, and thous, you noticed that Moses has, in the very middle of the verse, returned to the second person singular throughout this entire clause. However, this wouldn't be him speaking to Israel collectively as he usually does, but rather he is surely speaking to each individual personally. You all shall teach your children, and you personally are to do it at all times. Also, 
The words of this section are identical, letter for letter to Deuteronomy 6 verse 8. It is as if it was a phrase that Moses had memorized and probably repeated many, many times before stating it here. When someone came forward and said, Moses, my kid is being difficult. What can I do? His answer would be, tell him of the Lord in your sitting in your tent and in your going in the way and in your lying down and in your rising up. This is what you are to do. The only difference now is that the words are amended for their time in Canaan. That includes verse 20, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. With the exception of a single letter added to the word doorposts in this verse, the words are identical to the words of Deuteronomy 6 verse 9. The letter doesn't change the pronunciation at all, but it is simply a variant way of spelling the word mezuzot or doorposts. It is another clue to the authenticity of Mosaic authorship. Anyone else would have copied it verbatim. But just as at times I will spell the word worshipped with two letters and driving the guy that runs the website that we have absolutely nuts, and at times I will do so with one, so Moses added in a second vav to the word. Every time I write worshipped with two Ps, he goes crazy. And he says, that's the British English. Stop doing that. But this shows that Moses is not concerned about these type of things. As I noted in chapter 6, the idea here is to be taken metaphorically, even if it was literally accomplished by whoever decided to do so. The two words of focus here are mezuzah and sha'ar, doorpost and gate. The word mezuzah or doorpost comes from the same source as the word ziz, which means moving things. That word is used to describe beasts moving in the field or the front of a woman, and so it means that which is conspicuous. Hence, the mezuzah is that which is conspicuous and prominent in the life of a, a person. The sha'ar, or gate, comes from sha'ar, meaning to calculate or to reckon. As we saw in chapter 6, that is only used one time in the Bible in Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks, sha'ar, in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The gate is for protection of those within. A gatekeeper is one who actively decides who to let in and who to keep out. He makes a reckoning and acts upon that. Understanding these roots, the symbolism of the two words is then made obvious. The law of the Lord is to be so ingrained in a person that it is in the prominent place of a person's life. Every major decision is to be made based on an understanding of the law of the Lord. And further, it is to be so inscribed in a person that it is what is then the basis for making life's decisions. In this, it will be a guard for the well-being of the individual. One is to evaluate the circumstances set before him, consider what is to be done in relation to the law of the Lord, which he is intimately familiar with, and then act upon those things accordingly. Okay, you all have something that you need to do. Where do you go to decide on it? First you do is you pray. And then you think about it in relation to the law of the Lord, meaning the Holy Bible, which you all certainly know because you read it every single day. And then you act upon it. That's the same is true whether it's under the law of Moses or whether you're in Christ and not under law. Either way, you are to have the Lord at the forefront of your life. And if you do that, your life is going to be way better than it would be otherwise. As you can see, Deuteronomy is considered a repetition of the law, a second reading, because we've seen some of these things in other parts of the law of Moses. But even within Deuteronomy, there are repetitions. This is as much of a learning tool as anything else. 
In repeating an idea, people tend to remember what they have heard. In repeating an idea, people tend to remember what they have heard. Hence, Moses repeating these key thoughts is a tool for Israel to learn and to remember by. This is so, verse 21, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land. To close out the verses today, Moses returns to the second person plural. Now, I understand this is hard to remember all this. You don't need to remember it. What you need to remember is that the information that you're being given is like a meal that you're eating, and it's, it's helping you to grow. It's helping you to understand things. So don't worry about the details, okay? And the second thing is that if you ever wonder, what is that verse saying? You just go back and read the sermon at some point in the future. The main thing for you to do is to listen and absorb what you are hearing. It's important. That's why we go through these things. Is it second person singular? Is it second person plural? Because the Lord put it in his word that way. He wants us to know this for a reason. And it doesn't matter if you don't remember it. You will have benefited from it by learning it, even if you don't remember it. Does everybody get that? Okay. So, he is speaking to each person and to every person. And faithfully being obedient to the law, there is the promise of multiplication of the days of Israel upon Ha'adamah, or the ground. This then is set in contrast to verse 17, where it said that in the Lord's anger, there would be no rain upon Ha'adamah, or the ground, in order to bring forth produce. In that, they would perish from Ha'aretz Hatova, or the land, the good, that Jehovah was giving them. In this ground, Moses reminds them, verse 21 continues, of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. In verse 17, it said, the good land which the Lord is giving you. Here, Moses says, it is the land the Lord swore to give to the fathers, meaning them. It is an interesting statement that brings into mind the thought of genealogical inheritance and what that exactly means. It is a precept which is found in Hebrews chapter 7. There, and speaking of Abraham who gave tithes to Melchizedek, the author shows that Levi, who was not yet born, technically pays tithes through his great-grandfather, Abraham. It says there in Hebrews 7, Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives the tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, though dead, received the land inheritance through their offspring. At the same time, the offspring received the land inheritance through their fathers. Stepping back and looking at it in relation to Christ, we see that the same truth applies. Abraham receives the promise by faith in the coming Messiah, his offspring. And at the same time, the offspring, meaning Jesus Christ, is the one who receives the promise having come through the fathers being their seed. As it says in Galatians 3 verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. This is the beauty of chiasms. When they are properly lined up, we can see what is going on in a much more logical and orderly way. For now, the days of multiplication for Israel are at least potentially possible to be, verse 21 finishes with, like the days of the heavens above the earth. The meaning is forever. As long as the heavens are above the earth, so will Israel dwell in the land, if 
only if they are obedient to the Lord God. The conditional words spoken earlier are the caveat that Israel must deal with. Hence, Moses is giving them all of this detailed instruction and exhortation. If Israel fails to observe what is said, they will, as noted earlier, quickly perish from the land. The words quickly perish and like the days of the heavens above the earth are set in complete opposition one to another. The choice belongs to Israel. However, we have already seen that Israel's unfaithfulness to the covenant does not affect the Lord's faithfulness at all. He has kept, he is keeping, and he will keep his promises to this covenant until it is fulfilled for Israel in Jesus Christ, meaning when they receive him. Israel stands because the Lord has said that Israel will stand. The evidence of it is found even two millennia after they had turned their backs on him. Understanding that his faithfulness to the covenant is that enduring, and that understanding that Christ has offered a new covenant in his blood, we can be even more sure of the enduring nature of his promises to those who come to him by faith. He has promised, with a guarantee, that those who come to him will never be rejected. Never. Those spit upon by the very people that he has saved, the doctrine of eternal salvation remains. How unfortunate it is that people fail to simply take the word at face value and then accept what it clearly teaches. We are saved despite ourselves when we come to Jesus Christ. Please trust in that. Please rest in that. And please be assured of it. Jesus Christ's blood is effectual to cover every sin that we have ever committed. And he will carry us through to a place of goodness and eternal blessing if we have called on him. If you haven't, it's time for you to do it. Come to the cross and be reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. May it be so, and may it be today. Amen. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians 15. In case you have never come to the cross, you click on this video someday and you say, what do I need to do to be saved? It's so simple. I'd rather read it directly from the Bible instead of mess it up, reading it wrong off the top of my head. Okay, I have a dyslexia both in reading and in my brain when i say peter i mean paul i do these things all the time that's what jim is always having to correct me right in the middle of a sermon because i'm saying something backwards or upside down but here it is 1 corinthians 15 take it to verse 3 for i delivered to you first of all that which i also received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures you're a sinner you need a savior he died for your sins he took your place it's the doctrine of substitution and that he was buried proving that he was dead he went into the grave he didn't swoon he didn't do any of those crazy things that liberal theologians say he literally died and was buried okay and he rose again praise god he rose again the third day according to the scriptures proving a couple things one that he had no sin of his own because the wages of sin is death if he had his own sin, he'd still be in the grave today, folks, just like Muhammad and every other person that has ever lived on this planet, minus Enoch and Elijah, who will come back to die here shortly. But Christ had no sin, okay? And he came out of the grave to prove it. And the second thing it proves is that your sin is in the grave. Because when he died, he died for your sins, and he came out without any sin because he had none. But if he had our sin still, then he wouldn't be coming out of the grave. That sin is buried forever. The doctrine of eternal salvation is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. If you call on the name of the Lord, 
you will be saved. This is what God asks you to do, is to simply believe in your heart. Believe that simple gospel message that Christ did these things for you, and you will be saved. I would pray you would do it today. Our closing verse comes from Psalm 89. It's verses 36 and 37. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Selah. Next week is Deuteronomy 11, 22 through 32. It's a tough quiz, but guess which is worse? It's entitled The Blessing and the Curse. You decide. That'll be our 38th Deuteronomy sermon. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I have a question for you. And I want you to give me not just the book, but the chapter, because, and you get, if you answer the question properly, you get a speed card to drive home, okay? So these are from uh, Tom and Stacy. They sent them, so you can have a speed card if you get this question right. You pick out whichever one. Oops, don't fall there. Okay, I'm just going to have to put this down and get it up there later. Hang on a sec here. Chapter and verse, please. Or, I'm sorry, book and chapter, please. Okay. Where are the early and latter reigns mentioned in the New Testament. Because they are mentioned there. We just went through it here. The Yore and the Malkosh. They have different words for reign in Israel. I think they have five different words. It's important to know those because it's how the land is based. Nobody, can anybody give me the book then? What book? I'll give you a hint. It's the 59th book of the Bible. Can anybody tell me the 59th book of the Bible? It's the only wisdom book called Wisdom. James. What? James. Oh, you get, a, you get to drive a sports car home. Good job. I knew you'd get it. Okay, I'll, let me get this to you, and I'm going to read this, okay? This is important because this is, one of the, this is one of the prophecies that doesn't even seem like a prophecy when you read it, but it's an actual prophecy in the Bible, and I'll explain how in a minute. We've got Hebrews. Let me, this, these pages are really thin, so I want to... Okay, here we go. James, and it's chapter 5. And I knew you'd get that too, but you just forgot for a second. And then it's in verse 7. Hang on a sec. James 5 and 7. It says, I'll read you the whole passage and I'll explain it. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now he is writing under inspiration of the Spirit, telling us something. James didn't know that Israel would go into 2,000 years of punishment and exile, did he? But they did, okay? And when they went into punishment and exile, what happened in the land of Israel? The Romans went in and they cut down every single tree in the land and they built siege works and they destroyed that land. There was nothing there. Go read Mark Twain and Innocence Abroad and you'll find out how desperately desolate that land was for the past 2,000 years. And in the 1800s, he chronicled exactly what the land is like. You want to know the lie of the Palestinians today? Go read that book and you'll see it's not true what you're being told, okay? He documented how many people were there, what type of people they were, how many were there and there and everything, okay? There was nothing there. And the reason why is because they lost the early and the latter rains, because the ecosystem had been destroyed. 
rains need to have the trees to capture the moisture and then down comes the rains and so they only had one rain and it was sparsely at times throughout the year in Israel for 2,000 years and what happened is at the Zionist movement actually started by Christians way early because they knew what the Bible said and the Jews they were saying well we need to get them back into the land and so they started preparing the way for the Jews to go back and the Jews started going back and they took their own Hebrew language and revived it there was Eliezer ben Yehuda? okay? They went into the land. They bought at exorbitant prices from the Ottoman Empire. The, the Muslims were laughing at them. Oh, those stupid Jews. They don't know what they're doing. They're paying all this money for land that is absolutely barren. There's dysentery. There's swamps and marshes, and there's nothing but dysentery. It's just disgusting. Sell it to them. And so they have all these documents showing who bought what and where. They went in there, and at the expense of their lives, they drained the swamps, and they planted and every year since then, they've had a net increase of trees year after year, the only nation in the world to do it. But what has happened since then? The early and the latter rains have returned to the land of Israel. And he's saying, behold, when you see this, the Lord's coming is near. Amen. That's a prophecy right there. Remember that, James 5. When you're feeling down, disheartened about what's going on in the world right now, we're going to be out of here soon. The Lord is coming. Yes, sir. I have heard a missionary many years ago, the lateral and formal rains started in 1923. I would think that's probably about right, because that's when they went in there, the early Zionists, and they planted the eucalyptus trees. Some of them are still there. Why do they plant those? They go to Australia, and they get these trees that soak up tons of water, and they disperse it into the atmosphere. And some of them are just absolutely massive. Now, if you go around the Galilee, you'll see them there, okay? These ancient eucalyptus that were planted about that long ago, Okay. They drained the swamps that way, just the way they drained the Everglades when they wanted the sugarcane to grow. They went in, they planted these eucalyptus, and that's why you see them all from Fort Myers south. You see them all over the place. And the punk trees, same, same idea. So the Jews went in there and they did this. And lots of them died, but they brought the land back to the state it's in. And all of a sudden, everybody says, oh, that's our land. They stole it from us. Yeah. 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 Got a poem here for you. Like the days of the heavens above the earth. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, so to you I say, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, so good for your topsoil, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. And I will send grass for your livestock in your fields, that you may eat and be filled. Abundance shall be your yields." Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, doing something in this vein, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, as it certainly will do, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, thus being wise, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house over a coffee cup, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Please understand that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them long before your birth, like the days of the heavens above the earth. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. 
May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of the word that you have given us. It's such a treasure and it's filled with treasure. Unending, just marvel comes out of your word. And the details are so rich and so abundant. Our brains can't handle it all, but you do give it to us to search it out. And theology is hard work and listening to a a sermon like this is hard. But I'm thankful for those that are willing to listen and that are willing to understand what is being conveyed in these details, the richness of your love for us, which is found in Jesus Christ, and the lesson of the law, which brought us to him. Thank you for that lesson, Lord. Thank you for the words of Moses. Thank you for this book, Deuteronomy. Thank you for the people that are here to cherish it. And Lord, we certainly pray for Russell as he travels back up north to Delaware starting tomorrow. We pray for a safe travel for him and for safe travels for Jack and Beth as they go along and for our brother, Sean, who is going through these difficulties in his own home. And Lord, we also pray for a good week for Sergio and Rhoda as they finish up their time here and head back to Israel. We pray that they'll have a good time while they're there and that they will head speedily back here in the months ahead. We pray these things that you'll be glorified in them and that they will be built up in you. And we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.